You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. Today, I'm your host, Matthew Cohen-Meyer, and I'm super excited to talk with Sri Vishwanath on the last mile of getting business value from analytics. Shree leads the uh, advanced analytics team for Cisco's global marketing analytics team. During his tenure at Cisco, he has led uh, data science initiatives in understanding and defining customer engagement, content and audience performance, customer journeys, marketing attribution, and a lot more. His work has received many different industry recognitions, including the Annie Award in 2017, an ANA Award in 2018, and the highly commended drum citation in 2018. Shri is also a holder of over a dozen active patents and is a regular presenter at different industry conferences. He's also led many different industry standard efforts, including the sharing and the creation of the industry standard for customer data collection at the W3C Standards Organization and many more. Shri, I'm really excited to talk with you today and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. So I spent a lot of time looking at some of the content you've put out and wrapping my head around some of the things that you've developed in your career and would love to understand a bit about your background and your journey in analytics and some of the technologies you've developed along the way. Can you set the scene a little bit and and talk through that? Uh, Sure. Yeah, so I will just focus on my last few years of work, which have all primarily been in Cisco's B2B marketing analytics organization. Some of my initial focus upon joining Cisco was actually trying to understand customer engagement. So we uh, began to understand how does the customer engage? How do you measure that? How do you value that? And then um, we began to focus on content along the way. And you know, content performance is always a big area. It's a, it's a big investment for any marketing organization. We create all sorts of content. So we want to understand how do you look at content? How do we know that a content is being efficient? What's the return on investment on content and so forth? And then building on that, we um, one of our executives asked us, I really want to understand where is the customer on their journey? So we spent a lot of time on that because that was a natural evolution of customer engagement. We began uh, talking about where is the customer at any given time? Are they ready to purchase? Are they ready to receive marketing input and and so forth? And then we ended up building some additional models on on top of that, uh, like the degree of commitment model, degree of interaction model, and so forth. So a lot of focus on the behavior side, but just more for me personally. But there are members of the team who spend a lot of time looking at customer valuation and how do you characterize these customers based on their purchase history and so forth as well. So, so anyway, that's a little bit of uh, my history and of the larger team as well. Fantastic. Yeah, love, love to hear that. One question off of that, you mentioned starting with the content and getting into the journeys and the, and the behavior. Do you see a, a different evolution or what would be the next evolution of that in terms of starting with kind of broader content and getting more journey focused and behavioral focused? Is there kind of a next iteration? 
to hone in on what's going to be most resonant with, with an account or a customer? Yeah, I mean, you know, the notion of next best action never gets old. It's, it's been there for a long time and it continues to be part of something that guides us. But one other aspect, at least we have a bit of a gap here inside Cisco, is the cross-channel intelligence. And what I mean by that is fully carrying over intelligence that you're gathering about a customer's engagement on one channel and applying that to the other channels. And analytics, the business intelligence that you bring, is actually that bridge that can help you bridge that, that gap. That's the reason when we get into journeys, understanding where customers are, is central to having that sort of cross-channel intelligence. But then we need to do more there. So if a, if a customer never replies to an email or, or a customer who typically replies to an email does not respond to an email, should you now be reaching out to them through paid media and, and so forth? So there are those types of questions about cross-channel intelligence that we are just beginning to get into and hopefully we'll do more, more in that space. Yeah, and it's an interesting point to bring up because you need those thresholds or those safeguards of what does engagement or not engagement mean in these channels? Because it's not going to be a static rule across the different channels and even different accounts. So I've seen that in my own experience. That's where it becomes difficult to know when is this channel truly not working and we should shift to this other channel. Right, right. Agreed. Perfect. So jumping in a bit to building this data foundation, when you start with something from the ground up, or if a new organization is looking to do this, what are your thoughts on building this, uh, this data foundation and not overwhelming capabilities and not biting off more than you can chew? Where would you recommend an organization or a team start? Yeah, so actually, that's a really good question. You know, there are two ways to go about it. One is a top-down approach, looking at business processes first. The other is a bottom-up approach, looking at the data you already have and trying to mine that and leverage that. And, you know, as I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it is true. There is a meeting of the, of, in the middle that, that needs to happen here. So you, you need to look at the business processes that run your organization. That, that's, a, that's a gold mine. You really need to have that. What tends to happen is if you're a small organization, Maybe your processes are not as, as well documented, but then most people know exactly how things work. But as your organization grows, this becomes a much bigger part of how you need to, how you need to approach things. So if you are able to identify which processes are the ones that are most valuable for your organization, and you document them reasonably well, surface the decision points and so forth, then you see what's the data that you have either current access to or that you can possibly purchase or you can somehow get your hands on that data, that should be the building of your data foundation because then your data foundation is targeted at the most valuable business processes that your company runs. And you can keep the focus, you know, to your point, not to overwhelm anybody, but then uh, you keep your focus on that data foundation and build your way towards delivering value to your most valued business process. So that would be the way I would say for somebody who's just getting started. Very helpful. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense to, I guess, make sure that data is actionable. And when evaluating these different sources of data, of course, you mentioned, you know, which, which is the most important to the business is a good place to start. But on the reliability of the data and ensuring that it's clean and accurate, how do you, I guess, how do you build the business case to ensure that this data is clean and actionable? before getting into it? 
Yeah, so clean and actionable and relevant to the business. I mean, uh, so we do work with quite a bit of uh, not only first-party data, but also third-party data. In both cases, you have to apply guardrails. You have, you, have to, you have to know what is the range you're expecting for any given value. What are the typical values that you see? And so you have to sort of go at it almost attribute by attribute and see what makes sense. What does this does this look right? So you get into a very cleansing and a, a sort of a picture. But then even as you work your way through that through that data and and you put in the effort to actually cleanse that that information, you have to also be working towards mapping it to your business requirements. So it's possible that some data is coming in on a daily basis, but you you only need quarterly information. Or uh, you might be getting information about some regional office of a, of a potential customer, but your company operates not at a regional office level, but maybe treats the entire corporation, the entire customer as, as one unit. So there's a lot of mapping work that needs to happen to make it relevant to your business. And then, but the, the good news is once you do all that, you only need to do it once per data source. And then after that, your efforts are mostly in keeping them relevant and just managing and, and, and maintaining it. So even as you're building the business case for this, you know, there are, I think these three points are important. One is which business process are you applying it to, which will give you an immediate ROI. Then you have to say that, okay, that data source incidentally could be used again and again for multiple use cases. So that helps you build up and ramp up the overall ROI. And then the third biggest point is that, it's a one-time major effort. That's a, there'll be some ongoing minor effort, but it's a one-time major effort. If you put it all together, I think you'll have a pretty strong case for saying which data source, the uh, funding that you need to actually cleanse it and to maintain and manage it. That uh, makes sense. Yeah, that's, yeah that, that, that's very interesting. And it makes sense with how my business evaluates data as well. One interesting aspect of that is as business priorities and KPIs of the business change, does that change the sources and just the evaluation criteria of the data that you're using and sourcing? Or how does that work as, as goals and business KPIs evolve and change? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the work with business KPI is the most, most interesting, probably the most important piece as well. But for every business KPI, when we try to evaluate what data to apply or even what models to build, um, the, the biggest thing is the philosophy behind it. So when you are tracking something, when you are saying that, okay, I'm interested in those customers who, are, who, who will be most responsive to marketing messages. Let's say you pick, you pick something like that. Then you have to say, okay, what does that really mean? How are we going to look at building a capability of that sort, which can identify customers who will be responsive to marketing messages? Uh, what characteristics do they have? Or are they likely to have? So you have to almost build that mental model of that customer who is going to be responsive to that particular KPI. Which customers are going to move that KPI for the, for the company? So once you build that out, once you have that mental model of who that customer is, then, then you have to say, okay, what are the features that, that may be important? What all goes into it? That can use subject matter expertise or any prior analysis that may have been done and so forth, you can even bring in uh, analysts information and sort of begin to now say what sort of data will drive that. And then from there, you go towards the data sources. You know, then, then you say, okay, what data sources are important? Which ones are we going to now, now map in? 
So it's almost a top-down process where working reverse from the KPI back to the data sources. And then, of course, all the usual work around data sources has to be done in terms of cleansing it, mapping it to the business, and then building out your, your models and so forth. Yeah, I, I could see that being a very iterative process where you try something initially with the model and maybe it's an issue of your first party data is not the right source and you'll evaluate a third party or vice versa. So is that the case where sometimes the initial layout, the initial scoping of the data for that model doesn't work and you need to revisit it to ensure it gets more accurate over time? Uh, ab- absolutely. And yeah, I mean, um, that part of the question is a very important one where one is the KPI itself can change. So that's, that's one thing. The KPIs do evolve. But uh, if your initial KPIs were not completely off, the evolution is a reasonable evolution. It's, you know, it's rare that a company or an organization within a company is focused on certain things and suddenly it becomes completely irrelevant. That usually doesn't happen. There is an evolution. There will be some adjustments to that. But to your point, the point of iteration is, is very correct. And it, it, it has happened with us. So I, I spoke about engagements as an, as an example. It, it, the initial round of engagements, customer engagements that we that we created, um, it was more targeted at customers who were top and mid funnel, if you will, who were like you know not quite in the ready to buy mode. But what the KPI was trying to do was uh, was to drive up engagement to the point that the customers will actually convert. So you wanted to drive up engagement to a level where will the customers convert or not. However, the underlying model and the underlying data sources that we were using were not quite designed for that. They were not quite designed for uh, identifying leads or somebody who is ready to buy and things like that. It was a, it, it was more upper funnel, mid funnel uh, sort of sort of work. So we had to then uh, so we tried that out for almost a year, and then we could see the benefits, we could see the limitations, and then and then we decided, okay, this is. This is not going all the way that we needed to, so we had to replace it with a new, newer model, and we had to work our way um, towards that. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, if you're lucky in your initial interviewing, in your initial setup, uh, you will get it right. Quite often, when it's really out there and people are being measured against that and your business results are being measured against that, and then you see that the KPI is not really helping you in the way that you are expecting it to help, you have to evolve the KPI and they evolve the underlying uh, data models underneath as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a very live, living sort of thing. There's a lot of back and forth, uh, leads to interesting discussions, let's say, and then but then good things happen. Well, good things happen when you're being open about it. Yeah, I can imagine that, and, and it's an interesting perspective where you're beginning with um, with maybe a model from a previous KPI and trying to apply that to a future model. How have those KPIs and those models evolved? And I guess, where do you see that heading next? And what, what you said, which is making me wonder this, is starting with uh, you know, the, the goal model, the goal uh, KPI was like clicks or leads initially, and then it's moving to conversions, maybe down funnel. Do you think there's a future state that you'll base your predictive models and your KPIs off of like closing business or getting a meeting or something like that? Is that on the roadmap with these models? Yeah, this is yeah. In fact, that has that has already already happened in 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 many ways. Um, you know, we always had a propensity model which was more used by our sales teams and continues to be used by our sales teams to sort of see which customers should they be engaging more with, who's likely to convert in a given quarter. 
Then we built our degree of commitment model, which is um, which sort of tracks the customer throughout their journey and and sort of tells us where they are, which which helps us give our, uh, different types of marketing experiences. But then it also tells you the the uh, the readiness, the readiness that they will have for an actual purchase or or at least a conversation with a uh, with with a seller. So. Uh, so we we had to evolve our overall thinking along those in that particular direction. So um, yeah, I think net net I would say it has evolved, uh, but at the same time, anytime you're in marketing, while you want to drive pipeline, you want to drive pipeline into sales, you also want to keep customers engaged. So so what we call a stop and mid funnel, it it is a super important thing. You know, everything is a nurture in a, in a manner of speaking. So so you have to know. How do you keep the customer engaged? How do you keep them interested um, while you are moving them along? So, so the KPIs and the models are all moving in that direction to ensure continued engagement and um, driving more towards uh, pipeline. Definitely. And especially when they are gold on different things, when their individual KPIs are different. For instance, marketing is gold on leads or MQLs, and they need to model after that versus sales being gold on closed revenue. Those things might be uh, counter to each other at certain points. So it's probably a difficult balance to walk for you creating these models that almost keep both ends happy. Uh, it does. I mean, it is a, it is an, an ongoing story, never ending. As you said, it is uh, always keeps it, keeps it interesting. But so long as we do what we are gold to do, you know, if we keep our North Star pretty steady that we have to continue to engage the customer in meaningful ways and move them along. So the one of the most important things we had to do in building the right models was that there is a level of engagement where the quality and quantity of engagement is just right that it does help in in converting and uh, driving customers to pipeline and in building pipeline and and so forth and if you actually compare that with where you are just giving quantity and not quality, you see that customers don't convert nearly nearly as well. Or if you only focus on quality and you don't have enough quantity, it's good, but it's not nearly enough. So you have to hit on both measures. You have to get the quantity aspect. You have to get the quality aspect. That's where you see the marketing lift. And that's something that we have begun seeing more recently, who are, you know, we are beginning to see that Customers who do engage in a meaningful way and in meaningful amounts versus those who don't, there's a, there's a clear difference. There's a clear difference in the in the amount of booking, the number of times a customer books, and and so forth. So everything matters. Sales matters, obviously. Marketing matters. And for us, getting the right KPI is to make sure that are we doing the right kind of engagements with the customer to drive quantity and quality across a number of different customers. That is, that is, we have to have coverage as well. So, so anyway, that that's that's sort of the summation of how how it's uh, evolving at the moment. And that makes a lot of sense. Kind of the uh, the yin and the yang between quality and quantity of engagement. It makes a lot of sense. These applications for these models and this data, and the use cases for those uh, for those outputs. In a large organization like Cisco, I imagine there's a lot of demand for this type of data. How does something like that? get started in an organization like Cisco? What does the approval process look like? Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, in, in a sense, 
you know, it can happen top down and it can happen bottom up as well. When I say top down, top down is almost always very KPI focused. What sort of models will move the KPI? Are we doing the right things? Are we pulling the right levers? Where do we have control? Where do we not have control? And and so forth. So so it's a, it's a it's a lot about moving the business forward. But then once you come down either to the channel level, content level, when you are you know down into the execution layer, there are lots of ideas from people who are doing the execution, people who are working the space, and we work very closely with these teams as well. And we can sometimes see gaps or we can say, hey, we can help with that sort of decisioning or we can automate certain things and, and so on. So, so there is a lot of work that happens right at the, uh, at the operational layer uh, as well. So what, what ends up happening is ideas can come from both sources. Needless to say, if it's a top-down request that is a KPI moving sort of activity, that process is fast-tracked. Almost always, it's uh, it's given the higher priority. It's something that we we, we manage. It gets funded and, and so forth. So, so that moves pretty quickly. The more operational level where we might see something tactical, there, there then it depends. We sort of set it through a process of, okay, is it really going to give us the ROI that we're expecting? Are the teams ready to actually use it and, and absorb it? Because for us, building the capability is one thing. Uh, that may take some time and so forth. Activating that capability into the different channels and into the different functional areas, that is a much higher hill to climb, much steeper steeper hill to climb. Because the teams have to be ready. Sometimes the business process has to be ready to actually change process and to say, okay, we're going to use it. Are they going to pilot it first? And then we're going to scale it. Do we have the necessary support from the leaders of, the, of that functional area? So there are, there are a lot of, nitty-gritty details in terms of getting the activation going. And sometimes teams see the data, uh, may not know fully how to use it. So we have a group of analytics translators who are actually busy with that. They take that and they and they apply it to the different business processes. So yeah, so there's a lot of variety in that, in that uh, what we call as the last mile of activation. So there's a fair bit of work that happens. But hopefully that gives you an idea for <laughs> the between the approvals and the activation. I mean, there's almost these two two sides of the of the equation. Yeah, it definitely does. And, and it does make sense when things come from the top versus the bottom, the different challenges that are present. I would wonder, you know, when, when you're gathering data and when you're evaluating these models, what are some typical or maybe what are the biggest challenges in analyzing both the model and how you'll get the data and how you'll activate it from these different sources, first party and third party and things like that? Uh, when you say biggest challenges, I mean, I think we have touched on a number of these things, right? I mean, when it comes, initially, when you're trying to build your model, you, you have to first philosophically get to the right place. You have to say, okay, if you're modeling something, what are you trying to model? And what are you trying to really uh, understand, whether it's about a customer or a partner or uh, some other stakeholder, you have to really get a get a sense for what what are you trying to model what what is the ideal case scenario what are the type of data sources that we that we need and 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 so forth but even while you are building the model and even while you are thinking about the model you need somebody in the team very focused on its activation portion so when you when you think about activation you have to understand the maturity of the receiving organization or the or the receiving teams so when when the work is fairly simple 
or the receiving team does not have a lot of maturity, you may not even build a dashboard. You can do a very ad hoc type of work with them. You can say, okay, hey, here is some intelligence and they can try to use it and, and try, to, try to apply it. But then if the organization is a little bit larger, a little bit more maturity, you can apply dashboards and they can use the dashboards to optimize their, 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 their ongoing work. So, that, so in that sense, dashboard is, of course, it's a, it's usually it's a performance dashboard, but then it can be an optimization dashboard. But then you can come further down in that, in, that, in that equation and then say from dashboards, you can go into a decision support tool. If the receiving organization has its questions which are well-formed, they say, hey, these are the types of things that we, that we look for. You can build a decision support system which has some of their business processes weaved in. And then, and then as you go deeper into it, you know, then, then you can integrate these types of decisions into their uh, business process itself. That is, as the process is running, maybe they go to a certain tool or they do something else. And right at the point when they're making a decision, your information is there. It's like having a loan officer who gets an output from the loan AI model that says, oh, here is, here is where, where it is. So similarly within marketing, oh, what type of content should I use for this email and so forth. So if that information is right there in that tool. And finally, you can go towards automated systems where the AI is completely built in. You don't have to really uh, do, do any particular work there. So in activation, you have a full spectrum of, of activation, but a lot depends on the receiving organization's maturity to use it and apply it correctly. So anyway, that's on the activation side. And then I think on the data side, we did touch on that earlier as well. You know, Again, once you have the philosophy right for the model, you go for the data proxies, data sources, and then um, you know, apply the, the right sort of cleansing and so forth. So I hope I'm answering the question that, that you're asking, but uh, uh, that's the sort of the end-to-end process for us. Yeah, no, absolutely you are. And it is interesting that something to keep in mind is not just the data and the reliability of of the output of the model, but who's going to receive it and how you need to deliver that data to make sure they're ready for it and they're either sophisticated enough or set up to take advantage of it. Almost something out of your hands that you need to plan around and output the data appropriately, which is interesting. Yeah, coming to this. I mean, I've, I've come to a point where, <laughs> where I almost consider this activation portion as a, as a bigger problem than the underlying models themselves. Because, you know, fortunately, the field has been so open and there is so much that comes out from, a, from the academic world and elsewhere through R and Python and so forth. So many algorithms are there already that I think a lot of problems can be solved, can be solved using uh, data analysis uh, and data modeling. But I think this activation portion is this big, sort of this big, big area where, where I think we need, to, we need to put a lot more thought into it and uh, turn that into a bit of a science. Well, it's the most subjective part, right? All these other sources are very objective, numbers-based, database, and this is almost the soft aspect of knowing who's going to be using this and how ready they are and how sophisticated you are, which is a tough thing to quantify. So I can see why that is so challenging. Selfishly, changing gears a bit here, I'm on the sales side. I work very closely with my colleagues on the marketing side. I see research every year, year after year, that says buyers, IT buyers specifically, uh, are trending towards wanting less contact from m- myself and my counterparts on the sales side, and they want to be more independent with the data they gather. 
how do you see that impacting or even driving the need for better or richer analytics on your side? And, and how are you working, I guess, with your cross-functional teams in sales and marketing to better arm them with that data? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think there are a variety of different formulas that that one can one can apply. You know, on the on the one extreme, you pick a company like uh, Netflix, who run almost entirely through marketing, because it's a completely self service. So you know, their uh, numbers and quotas, etc. They they tend to rely on their marketing team. Now, uh, I don't think there's anything called as a pure marketing team or a pure sales team. I mean, the functions are so closely aligned that, um, and they're all working towards the same goal of nurturing the customer and moving them uh, forward. So I think what, what often, often happens is, at least within Cisco, you have a, a range of different sales motions and uh, um, you have different uh, types of customers, those who uh, want that kind of high-touch engagement, in which case, uh, you know, the sellers already know a lot about that particular customer. In those cases, what they may, what they are further empowered with is, have they done something with marketing that that they may not be aware of? You know, maybe they had a sit-down dinner with somebody in the marketing uh, team or in the engineering team and so forth, and that is good information for for the for the for, the, for those high-touch engagements. But but as you move to the to a more SaaS-oriented world and a more uh, self-service-oriented world, now marketing has a bigger role to play. In, in making sure that you are maximizing the opportunity with that particular customer. So maybe a customer is leaning forward and if you do not engage in the right way or, or engage sufficiently, maybe the person buys one, one license of a software or two licenses. But then if you work towards expanding the scope, you can say, hey, there is more that can be done and you can, you can talk to uh, somebody in sales who can really help you set up your entire organization or set up your team in the in the right way, then that sort of becomes the right function of, of marketing. That is, you want to not only accelerate the deal time, which is fine, but you want to expand your aperture. You want to, you, you want to say what all you can do for the customer, ex- expand the things that, that, that can happen. And at a certain point, at a certain point, marketing cannot close a very large deal. There, there comes a point where you have to have people. You have to have people who are engaging with those customers, who are engaging with those those uh, organizations. So what I'm beginning to see is the, the the role of marketing is not just in nurturing and engaging, but in also ensuring that we are maximizing the opportunity. We are we are sort of presenting all the possibilities and uh, and getting the customer interested in a broader portion of the portfolio. And and getting sales increasingly involved involved in that. There is another another angle here as well. There are members of the team who spend a lot of time looking at the type of content that you want to arm the sales team with, saying that hey, based on our analysis, this is where the customer is on their journey, and hence these are the types of content that we think will be very useful based on their history. So so then the seller can use their own intelligence, of course, about uh, what sort of content will be helpful, but also use content that we are recommending. Hey, typically this is what they have consumed at this stage of the of the journey. So why don't you carry that as well, so that it's there in their uh, back pocket when they are having that that next next conversation. I'll mention one more one more point. Just uh, just this thing. We also track any customer surge in in interest. So so we also see if a customer is 
maybe they are not showing much interest in, in a particular portfolio, but all of a sudden you suddenly see a surge of activity. That surge is something that our sellers find very helpful in opening a conversation. It's like, oh, if they're showing a lot of interest in something, I understand that they are not ready to buy. I understand that they are not going to buy right now just because they're showing a lot of interest, but it opens the door for me. I can have a conversation with them. Maybe there is some interest. Maybe they want to learn about something. So something I've learned from folks like you, Matt, uh, in, in sales is the importance of good conversations with customers. That, that that is just as valuable as the final deal or saying that this person is a lead. But the need to have good quality conversations with, with customers is a, is a super important thing and something I think marketing can really continue to help. Yeah, that, that resonates and that makes a lot of sense. And kind of a takeaway I have from what you're saying is almost this maintenance of a feedback loop of behavior between marketing and sales, where marketing can tell when there is this surge or this high value engagement and sharing that with sales. But if sales has a one-off, again, very valuable, call it a dinner or a meeting at an event, that should also play back into marketing's hands because that's going to position their future engagements. Yeah. Yeah. And I cannot say that we have the loop working perfectly here at Cisco, but uh, you are absolutely right. That that loop, when it's working beautifully and in, and, and in those parts of the organizations where it is working beautifully, the results are there to see. You can, you can see it. You can see it. It makes, makes a big difference. Customer gets a superior experience uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a win-win across the board. Absolutely. And that, that goes back to, I think, why that trend towards, towards digital engagement is so important because people want to get the content and the information that's relevant to them at that time. And if they're on a marketing track and then touch with sales, they've possibly been accelerated in that track. And the content, the messaging that they need is not going to be the next in that you know linear marketing path. It should be stepped ahead, which is testament to why that, that conversation and that knowledge sharing is so important. Very interesting. We're almost up on time, Shree. Really enjoyed the conversation. I want to ask one more, maybe personal question. In this space and your research and maybe what you're doing even on the personal side, is there a book? or a newsletter or a video that you would recommend to our listeners? You know, for me, I like books that help you in your thinking process more than, more than anything else, because I think that is the single biggest thing that helps, whether you are modeling or activating or you're trying to philosophize about what you are working on. So, you know, the book Range came out um, recently. So I, I, I like that book. It has different models of thinking. So I, I like that. And uh, there is uh, also, I enjoy all the videos by Jim, Jim Khalili, Jim Al-Khalili. I think in um, those who have access to Amazon Prime, uh, he talks about quantum physics in a very simplified way. He talks about other otherwise abstruse subjects in a very easy to understand way. And I really like that thing. It really resonates with me because I, I really love simplifying hard stories into into simpler terms, but it should not be so simple that you can't use it. I mean, you, you don't want to make it silly, but you but you want to make it simple enough that it's easy to understand and and and, and act upon. So I think those would be my two recommendations on that front. Excellent. And I'm all for simplifying quantum physics, if uh, quantum mechanics, if there's a <laughs> book to do that, I will check it out. Last question I have for you, because this was such an interesting conversation. I think people will want to learn more and possibly get in touch with you. What is the best way that folks can get in touch with you after this podcast? 
Yeah, actually, it's my personal email would be awesome. I mean, it's my last name, S-R-I-K-A-N-T-H-1-0-0 at gmail.com. So, uh, yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. I I will respond. Yes. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for the time today. Really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope we can chat again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 